Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, are my pals, uh, Zach and Vince. I was going to try and come up with a more clever introduction, but then I bailed on that halfway through the introduction. Uh, anyway, we are here with... You're doing the- great, sweetie. Thank you. We are we are doing uh, our final week of 52. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the journey thus far. And uh, taking us the last bit of the way is Vincey. So, Vince, lead us there. All right. Uh, 52, issue 40. Chris Batista's on the art duties for this one. Um so in this one, we've got uh, Steel and the Teen Titans busting into uh, LexCorp and taking on Everyman and Luther to get Natasha back. Um, at this point, Lex has given himself powers using the <clears throat> Everyman program. Um, and he, he kind of beats Steel around a little bit in this. Um at one point, actually, I gotta I gotta point this out. At one point, Lex tells Steele that he has fecal matter leaking into his bloodstream. Yep. <laughs> um, you, you hate when that happens. By the way, hate when you have doo doo in your bloodstream. Um, he uses X-ray vision to be able to. I guess you can see poo particles with with x-ray vision i don't know zach you're a pharmacist can you see pee particle, poo particles with x-ray vision <laughs> he probably has to have microscopic vision too okay ah, i bet superman does i don't does superman he? does have that yes, yeah so i bet lex does because he's supposed to kind of be like a new superman figure but anyway um so uh basically what ends up happening is natasha uses her uh steel's hammer somehow as an atomic sort of power source weapon and ends up taking lex's powers away kind of in the same way lex could turn off everybody else's powers in the everyman project at will um and then also we see at the end of this issue that kondak appears to have some sort of curse or drought or blight on it um crops are dying there's even though there's like tons of rain there's like storming um and there's lots of civil unrest uh and osiris thinks that it's his fault for um you know he just he just committed a murder uh he thinks that the blight is his fault because uh, he's living in darkness did i get everything in that i think so yeah yeah i th- this this a sort of quarter that we're covering. I mean, obviously it's the last bit of 52, mm-hmm. but I, I really do think almost all of these stories just ramp up to a very interesting, they go to some very interesting places. I think this is the best crop of issues that, that we get in this whole series. I think this pretty, I think almost every storyline here ends pretty well. <clears throat> I think I agree that every storyline ends pretty well. And this is really, we get a little bit more of Steel and the Steel and Lex story, but this is kind of the the climax yeah. of it. And it's really the first of the stories to kind of wrap up. Um, but I think I maybe liked last week's set of issues just a, a smidge better than these. Um, <laughs> Funny you say that, Zach. I agree that all the stories wrap up well, but this is my least favorite volume of 52. Interesting. Oh, wild. Okay. Uh, just because I feel like 
and, and this will become more clear kind of as we go along here. I feel like this volume does the poorest job of keeping us engaged in all the stories at once. We get a lot more, and part of that I'm sure is by design. We get a lot more of like, there's like two almost entirely Black Adam issues in a row. And then we get kind of a, an all Batwoman issue. There's just not the balance between the, the stories. And I think one of the real positives of the best of 52 is that you're loving all these stories, but you're also changing stories every couple of pages. So I really miss yeah. that aspect of the book in this volume. Getting getting a little bit ahead of myself uh, or ourselves, I, I think that this volume has some of the, I won't say the best art, but some of the most interesting art because there, there are some people who come in on these issues that haven't been on the yep. series thus far that are that are pretty good artists. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah, it's a more varied uh, collection of artists, mm -hmm. and and yeah, there are some names here that that will become big later. Also, um, yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. Um, kind of like in fifty two issue forty one. Should we move on? Sure. The yeah. art in this one is Giuseppe Camincoli. And uh, and yeah, I don't I don't know that he was much of a name back then, but uh, this. You know, for me, this kind of put him on the map, I think. Yeah, I, can't, I think I can't this would have been else. like... Yeah. I was going to say, I think this this would have been before he did his uh, run on Constantine or on Hellblazer with Peter Milligan, which was, I think, the first thing that I really recognized him in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we start with... Uh, at, uh, Adam Strange and Starfire um, getting attacked by Molek the Hunter, uh, who self-destructs in sort of a self-defense move. Um, we also get—I I will say—the the space heroes stuff, the the Adam Strange Starfire stuff, continues to be like the one story that I think is lagging for me a little. Like we get scenes of them sprinkled in here and there that don't feel like they have much to do with anything else. Um, you you want to say something? Sort of. I don't I will save it. We'll save uh, it. Okay. All right. I mean, th there are ways that that turns around. Well, it, it... I, I was just realizing that it's really the only plot thread that goes nowhere. Yeah, I was just book. I was just thinking the same thing, how it doesn't really impact any other corner of the story at all. And it doesn't have any really far reaching like, consequences for the DC universe. Like I, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, there is some follow-up stuff in one of those countdown series. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's the countdown to adventure, which was the follow-up to this these characters and then all of these characters um jim starlin would go on to write i think it was jim starlin wrote like several miniseries um featuring these characters over the next few years mm -hmm. so it doesn't wrap up in this at all which i i didn't remember it playing out the, the way that it ends up playing out and, and it is a, a little disappointing there there are some good beats in this volume with the space crew but um 
yeah, it ultimately just doesn't amount to much at all. Um, so disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. The one, the one bit I like, which we'll talk later is I, I do like some of the animal man, um, stuff, which did come out of this, but, um, but yeah, it, you're right. It doesn't it doesn't touch any of the other stories in the way that some of them overlap with the crime Bible stuff or have more of a role in the DC in the DCU going forward. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, we also see Renee uh, training with Richard Dragon, um, who says that you know she wants to honor. Uh, Vic Sage's memory, it would be by not running from herself and becoming the person that she's meant to be. That old chestnut. Um, we also see Ralph retrieving the silver wheel of Nyarlath from Professor uh, Milo's wheelchair. Um, he's going around collecting these artifacts Um that are meant to help him with uh, something he's working on. And we'll, we'll get to that a little later. Um, we also get to see Wonder Woman visiting Renee and having a little conversation with her about, you know, kind of the Wonder Woman's perspective on the aftermath of, of what she did in Infinite Crisis and, um, you know, kind of a, a back and forth between her and Renee that's some somewhat of a pep talk. Um to Renee, she's getting a lot of those lately. Um, <laughs> Can I t- just say how dumb I am? Because when I initially read this, I did not know that this was supposed to be Wonder Woman, even with the I killed a man thing. I, I was yeah. just like, oh, who, who is this person? I, am I supposed to know who this is? Did not did not click with me at all. Um, it is so not it dumb, is not dumb. very it. No, you're not. You're not dumb because it's not very clear the 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 killed a man part uh did it for me then i triggered my memory but like there is aside from that there's nothing in the dialogue i think that directly identifies her as diana and also there's nothing in the purposefully i think because she's not really in her um in her costume or or assuming that identity right now there's nothing in her visuals either that really hints towards that she doesn't particularly distinctly look like diana you know (laughs) Well, what's funny about that, too, is that, you know, she says that she's there to meet a friend. And if you read the back matter, they're like, yeah, you know, Diana meeting Bruce there. And I was like, wait a minute, that's the friend she means? Like, I didn't pick up on that necessarily. Just like, obviously, that happens in a couple of issues. But when she said she was meeting a friend there, did either of you guys say, like, oh, of course, it's going to be Bruce? No, because I didn't even know it was her. And I I think part of the reason I was also a little confused is because I, before I had read this issue, I had thumbed through issue 47 because I knew that that was another um, Batman-centric issue, or it had had some Batman stuff in it. Um, and she shows up in that talking to another character. And I think when I had seen her there... I had assumed that it was maybe like a Bat Family character. Like I assumed it was Helena or something. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and so reading it here, I was like, oh yeah, that. I guess I still don't know who this is. Maybe it's Helena. Um, so I think that looking at things out of order kind of led to my confusion or or contributed to it as well. Yeah, I, I think that's understandable. Um, so then uh, you see 
Renee lighting a candle for Vic um, in his memory, and the smoke forms in the shape of a question mark. And I must say, like, I like a lot of the visual imagery uh, surrounding the question in this. I, I love, like, the slow burn that we get. It seems like every issue contains, like, some sort of visual nod to Renee eventually taking up the mantle before she actually does. But it's also funny that, like, it happens in every issue. Yes. Like, she she lights a candle and the smoke isn't a question mark. She has a vision where she's standing in front of a mirror and she's missing her face. You know, like, it, it literally happens, like, a dozen times before she actually puts on his, his costume. It's all very good. It's all very, like, visually evocative and, and intriguing and really well done. But, like, it, it is also, like bashing you over the head with it too <laughs> i wonder how much of that comes from us also knowing that to the story ends because we've read it before or yeah you know, i mean i i think you're right i think it's very blatant but i wonder if we hadn't read the story before if we'd feel the same way yeah i do, I do wonder i i mean it is very blatant though like it is it's just question marks everywhere <laughs> um and I, I I think even more like, you know, we know that she becomes the question, but a lot of the arc, I feel like, ha, has hinted at her maybe becoming something other than the question. Like the answer, you perhaps. know, the answer, perhaps, <laughs> which would have been very, I, I think, like a little dopey and on the nose. But can they do that? I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, ultimately, I think it maybe is a little disappointing that she does just become the next question. Um, but, you know, those, sometimes those questions can never get answered, you know? Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, and then at the end of this issue, we ultimately see Adam Strange and Starfire crash land on none other than the Green Lantern planet Mogo. Fantastic. Uh, which, love Mogo, yes. Great, great bit. Anytime Mogo shows up, Good, good shit. Um, so, um, this kind of pops up uh, later on. I think you'll see it more, but I just wanted to mention that in the back matter for this issue, Rucka talks about how this is when they began to panic about the series because they were realizing they had so much more they had to get through, like in the final 10 issues. And I, I wonder if that's part of why I had sort of a less fun time reading this volume this time because I read the back matter like as I was reading each issue. And maybe just because he pointed out how rushed they felt, I felt it was more rushed too. You know, it's a like that that thought was implanted in my head. And I wonder how much of that had to do with my feelings about this volume. Mm. Yeah. Um this issue also had a backup that was the origin of Starfire with art by Joe Benitez or Benitez. Um, we ready to move on 52 issue 42. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so, <laughs> Oh, here it is. Okay. Uh, Renee, this is where Renee, it opens up with her looking at her own reflection uh, and without a face in some dark cave at Nanda Parbat. So part of her, like, spirit quest or whatever obviously she's seeing herself uh as the question in some way 
Uh, art by Derek Robertson in this one, by the way. And and honestly, like he's probably my favorite artist that worked in this book, I think. I would probably agree. I mean, like we've had Phil Jimenez, who is really, or do you mean in this specific volume? Uh, I mean, in the series period, okay. I'm I'm probably forgetting like a Phil Jimenez here and there. They were, also, it wasn't great Jimenez though. Is right. What I was but, gonna but say. I would um, say this isn't this isn't peak, uh, Derek either. It's not peak Robertson, but like there are it's some really bits. good still though. I think. Yeah, the stuff. Uh, the the stuff that follows with like the the um with Neron and um yes we'll we'll get to it and Ralph like I I love the way that stuff is staged I think it does a brilliant job of delivering the script in a very um a twisty turny surprising way I think the visuals add to that uh, in an insane way like it's it's less workman like I think than than some of the other w- artistic work on Fifty Two has been. But you're that, right. Yeah. You're like as far as like pure renderings are concerned, uh, like the actual line work itself. Yeah, not peak Robertson. You know, everybody was on a deadline here, and yeah, it. I, I'm just gonna go ahead and say, I think that the Ralph storyline gets the best ending. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This stuff rules. Yeah, it, it whips so really hard. Good. Every every bit about it works as it's supposed to. Um, and you figure like what a Herculean task that is because Neron was not mentioned until this issue. <laughs> like the fact that this all lands with an unseen villain is pretty insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and re- and yet really well done. Like it didn't need a ton of setup. It makes perfect sense. You know what the stakes are. You know. Um. Yeah, it's great. A couple of things uh, I, I wanted to sorry sorry Vince I wanted to point no, out about, go the, for, about the Ralph stuff go. the revelation that he's been drinking Gingold is fantastic <laughs> so good uh, and like once you once you read that you're like of course that's what he's been doing the whole time but he plays the role of the sad drunk so well throughout it that you really do buy that that's what he's been drinking this whole time and uh, that's like a, a wonderful revelation I think. I think that this series does a really great job of reminding you over and over again that he's a very good detective. And so him putting together all these pieces does not feel like too much of a um, like witless hero figuring it all out at the end of the story. I think, I think it's all laid out in a way that is believable for a great detective like him to figure out. And I just want to say, like, you know, the fact that he essentially commits like suicide by supervillain is 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 a pretty, I think, innovative move for the for the time. That's that's still not something you see too much of. Sort of a character like not just sacrificing himself. So I think it's different when like when Connor Kent sacrifices himself in Infinite Crisis. He's sacrificing himself for the good of the universe. Here, Ralph is trying to die. Like there's there's a difference yeah. there, but he but he does so in a way that manages to make his action heroic. Like the fact that he essentially commits suicide should be for the reader like a sad instance, but it's really not. Like it's a joyful moment. It's it's so well paid off and the fact that the wedding ring is the thing that kills him is just this brilliant bit of writing 
this is by far my favorite bit of all of 52. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the tie back to the gun from the first issue, which I had alluded to, like mm-hmm. now I remember how it plays out. And I just remember the first time I read this, just just being so impressed by the um, the kind of like subversion of my expectations, you know, both with the 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 gun and the and the gingold, um, you know, thinking like, oh, he's this suicidal alcoholic, and and actually like, no, he like had a plan the entire time, and you know, he you know he wasn't like invincible or infallible, you know, he works through his thought process here and and how he solved the mystery, um, which you know we almost never get this kind of detective story in detective comics comics you know um <laughs> it's uh it's so good and it's funny like really the ralph storyline doesn't intersect with almost like really any of the other like major 52 storylines when you think about it um well no he he's kind of not part... like in a big significant way no but he's part of the supernova story a little bit yeah um, like i mean yeah. He, he he intersects there just a little bit, but not like how, you know, how integral the the question storyline is with the Black Adam storyline, um, which like intersects a little bit with. Um, well, I guess maybe those are the only two that really go so hand in hand. What I would say about this is that to me. Ralph represents the old DCU, both in terms of like this is directly following up on an identity crisis beat. So it represents like the pre infinite crisis, pre time jump one year later. This is like he is sort of the avatar of the old. And so he kind of has to die because this series is so much about bringing in new continuity and new opportunities for old characters and all of that. And so his. His role, when you look at it from a distance, it sort of makes sense that he's the one who's going to die. So I don't think he needs the same connections to the, like, the overall story because he's just so embedded in the DC universe itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, well said. Uh You said so much about the plot here, Brian. I don't think we need to really cover it in any more detail, but... um. One question I had before we move on to the next issue is at the very end of the issue, you see fire, the the JLA hero fire, um, leaving the wedding ring on uh, Sue's grave. And am I, is there anything more to be, I I guess I'm just maybe don't know this uh, as a fan, but is there anything more to be read into that with her? I don't think she's leaving it. I think she finds it. Oh, she finds it. Okay. Yeah, I I kind of had the same thought that she found it there. And if you recall, like she goes and checks on Ralph in one of the early volumes. So that's that's just that's the only connection just yeah, that way. Yeah, I I think it's just tying okay. up the circle cuz they were they were jail I believe Justice League Europe team teammates together. Okay. Yep, that could be right. Um Okay. Can I just talk about the back matter a little bit here, or is there more about the issue you want to talk about, Vince? No, go for it. The origin of Green Arrow, Mark Wade and Scott McDaniel, or you're no, no you're talking about the, the 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 back matter from the trade here. 
You're um, a trade back matter, yeah. Yeah. So this one is written by our pal Dan the Dio, and um, he talks I'm about back, how baby. he talks about how controversial the death of Ralph Dibney was among the writers, and this seems like that this is something that the Dio. I don't want to say pushed for it. It seemed like he was always going to die, but there was like tons of rewrites for how he actually died. And it seemed like most of the writing staff was not happy with Ralph's death here, which seems crazy to me because it seems like such a well-written death. But I'm very interested to see, which we'll probably never see, sort of what the other writers wanted to do with him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, this uh, this feels like such a like Mark Way joint though, because because of, of the heavy neuron emphasis. Yeah, and he loves some neuron. <laughs> so, like, I'll just read this a little bit here. Uh, at my request, Keith Giffen stepped in and reworked and reboarded the scene of Ralph's death with complete knowledge of the staff. It was a bit of a tense moment, but since everyone involved was uncomfortable with how the story was playing out, the change needed to be made. Right or wrong, I believe Ralph went out the hero he was meant to be, smarter and better than the devil himself, and as the final issue will prove, his valiant sacrifice will not go unrewarded. But yeah, when you need Keith Giffen to clean up your mess, you fucked up pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll do it. He'll do anything, of course. Of course he will. Total stooge. Um... <laughs> Including a, a six-issue aftermath series about the Four Horsemen. Yeah. Oh man, I can't. Who wants that? <laughs> Keith um, Giffen. Yeah. All right, issue forty-three. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so we see the Black Marvel family and the Marvel family together sort of uh, discussing um, the idea that Osiris, that his murder of the Persuader is the thing that's causing the famine on Kandak. Um, Osiris blames Black Adam for corrupting him. He actually gets into a physical fight with Adam and Isis. Um, But eventually ends up just going back with the the Black Marvel family. Um, we also see Buddy Baker being revived by some group of aliens uh, that picked him up. Um, he switches from his space dolphin powers into some nearby... There are some nearby sun eaters kind of flying by in space, and he taps into them for powers. Um, that, that I love that bit and I love where that goes. Um, it's the one part of the, it's the one part of the space heroes stuff that like is so clever and so fun that it transcends like the whole thing kind of being meaningless for me. Um, yeah. I mean, it feels like a direct, I, I haven't read all of Morrison's animal man, but it feels like a direct follow up to some of that. Um, just the way he is like there's like a very meta aspect to his resurrection and stuff you know it's it has echoes of like the time tailors from seven soldiers Mm. um almost kind of like a different aspect of that um the way he's just like re reinserted into reality and everything yeah it's good um the lady stick stuff on the like next couple pages oh man (laughs) no yeah so 
we see Lady Styx uh, actually like rebirth herself inside one of her followers. <laughs> and it's some of the most gruesome stuff in this series, I think, of her like bursting from this this poor lady's stomach. It's so I had like tricked myself into thinking that this series ended with like an invasion by the Stygian army. Uh, mm-hmm. which, uh, spoilers, does not happen. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, um, and then uh, back in Kondak, uh, we see Sobek suggesting that Osiris uh, maybe can lift his the burden of being a member of the Black Marble family by saying the magic words and ridding himself of the powers. As soon as Osiris does that, Sobek murders him in cold blood chomps down yep bastard oh and i should mention that the art in this one was dan jurgens which you know i love it you know i love a dan jurgens pencil comic it it looks good but you can't say that that picture of buddy finding the sun eaters isn't just the purest of nut faces (laughs) (laughs) there are a few moments in these that are uh they're quite nutty. For sure. For sure. You, you guys know that when DiDio says that countdown is 52 done right, he means because there's 52 times the nut faces. <laughs> that is probably the correct math. There yeah. is one issue in like the 30s <laughs> of countdown that is just like all nut faces. Like I remember texting Walt and just being like, holy shit, every fucking page, every character is nutting in this book. Man, I've, I can't I've wait to read, read it. I yeah. gotta read it. I gotta do it one day. You got to. You got to. We're not. We're not doing it for the show. Where do we? Where do we stand uh, on that? We'll discuss that no. after after the show. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. You were the one brought it up, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah Zach, but I, Zach, you with were the, the one caveat like, of if I I said if I had read the first volume by the time we ended fifty two, we would do it. I haven't even started it, so we'll talk later. Mm. We'll talk later. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Issue forty four. Uh, I believe so, yeah. All right, art by Eddie Barrows in this one. Um, I like the title of this one, Deaths in the Family. Um, and so, uh, at the beginning of this, Black Adam feels the power of Osiris return to him, so he knows that something must have happened to, uh, Amon. Um, they find his body, and they find Sobek nearby, uh, all covered in in Osiris's blood, um, ribs are sticking out. Yeah, it's gross. It, it's yeah, got some art on you. <laughs> um, Sobek reveals that he's actually Famine, one of the four horsemen, um, and that they're the ones that are causing all the desolation in Kondak as punishment for uh, them turning down the. Remember early in fifty two, uh, Intergang um, made a proposition for, at Black Adam, and he turned him down. So this whole thing is punishment for that because the um, four horsemen are connected to the Intergang through the the Crime Bible and all that stuff. So I, I really love the way that that gets folded in here to the Black Adam stuff uh, comes back around. I think that's I think that's really clever. I think it plays really well. Um. At this point, Black Adam kills Sobek, and uh, B- Isis is also killed in this fight. Uh, Isis' power returns to Black Adam, just as Osiris's did. 
Um, elsewhere, you can see Renee looking at the rose that Isis gave her earlier in the series and, and the rose wilts. And she takes that to mean that something happened, that Isis died. Um, at this point, Richard Dragon and Tot tell Renee that uh, she should leave Nanda Parbat and start investigating what's going on. They give her Vic Sage's hat and coat. And that's where this one ends. Um, yeah, this I, is a I, bummer. What do you mean by that? I just, uh, I just wish that, uh, I, I just wish that Black Adam's story didn't have to go so, go the way it did. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I agree with that, Zach. This is, um, this is something like eight years of his character evolving from just like, I mean, everything about Black Adam early on is just the opposite of Captain Marvel, right? Captain Marvel is is bright and sunny and cheery, and, and Black Adam is just like this dour criminal. But ever since he sort of shows up in Johns's JSA, I, I think I think actually the first issue Johns wrote, if I'm not mistaken, is number six, which I believe also Black Adam's first appearance in JSA. But like from then on, there's just this long build towards him being a really compelling character and compelling it in really interesting ways. And I understand that this, in some ways, is the logical conclusion of that story, but it just feels like the character could have gone on to do so many more interesting things instead of just reverting to sort of the villainous nature. Even if it's justified villainy and justified anger and rage, it still feels like maybe the least interesting way to go about it. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I would say it's logical. Like, I haven't read the whole John's JSA Black Adam arc, but, it, I mean, it's just really grim and depressing that, you know, you inject this family aspect uh, into his life and you have this character with of, of Isis who kind of represents like hope and, and humanity and, and kind of like the goodness. And then for her to just, for her and her brother to just go out in back-to-back issues and then her to just kind of be like, actually I was wrong. There is no good in humanity. You should, you should get revenge and kill them all. Which um, is something Johns lifts almost directly for the Stargirl show, by the way. Really? In a, in a different characters. Yeah. There's a, so Icicle is like the main villain of that show. Uh-huh. And there's a big part of and spoilers for season one of Star Girl for anyone who hasn't watched it yet. But uh, there's a scene, a flashback scene where Icicle's wife is dying, and he basically is saying like, you know, I'm so sorry, I'm leaving you. And she said like, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that people are too stupid to see what you could actually do. Don't, don't like mellow when my death essentially kill everybody. Man, um, maybe I'm just like finding out as time goes on that I just really don't like Johns as a writer that much. <laughs> a lot of it is nostalgia for me. I'll say that. Um, yeah. But what I was going to say to Zach is when I, when I meant that it was like sort of a logical conclusion to Black Adam's story is that Black Adam's character very early on in Johns' stuff becomes this this avatar of doing what is right, even if it is like against what the heroes would say is right. Right. It's like, it's like he has his idea of justice and he Mm -hmm. is going to perpetrate that no matter what. So 
even like when when he's pushed to the brink here, he doesn't exactly become a villain. He yeah, just, he's just pushing back. Like he's like, no, I am right. It's right to do all of this, and he takes it yeah. too far. And I understand that, like when you're when you build the character up like that, that's sort of the logical come down for it. Yeah, and and I, that's a good point. I guess like when I started, you know, kind of talking about this, I. I was kind of working from the framework that I thought that this is like a this is backtracking for his character when when I, truly he he is like a changed person like he doesn't I guess I, I initially I was kind of reading it as having this family had no significant effect on him which is not the case he is he's a different character at the end of 52 than he was at the beginning and we get more of that over time I think some of it is probably the fault that we just haven't gotten a lot of Black Adam content, uh, you know, since this. Right. Um, you know, there was the one last R. There, there's the mini series that follows this. There was a bit of Black Adam stuff in John's uh, follow-up JSA series, mm-hmm. and then the new Fifty Two happened, and he's Black Adam bit, was kind of. He's a little bit involved with like Forever Evil and stuff like that, but not much. Yeah, yeah, and he's kind of like a like a bit of a blank slate again like john's is mostly shepherding him still but he kind of walks him back to like an earlier more generic version of the character i think in the new 52 um so we we really just like don't get to see a lot of continued growth from black adam after this which is which is pretty disappointing i'll also say just very quickly here that the tragedy of black adam here is that this is almost exactly how his family died the first time. And mm-hmm. so much of the story is about him trusting, like, <laughs> it sounds so cheesy, but trusting in love and trusting in family. And it just, the exact same thing happens to him again. And that's, that's tragic writing. That's a, I think that's a good, well-written idea for the character. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily hammered home enough here. I know Earl, like when when he marries Isis, he says something like, you know, the last time I was married, this didn't this didn't end up so good, but I wish that he I wish that was referenced again here. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing I want to say before I give it back to Vince is, um, I really like what uh, what is done here, which is it says in the back matter in one of these issues, it says that Black Adam loses every single acquisition he's made over the course of the year, his wife, even his cape. Like, everything that's changed about him is gone at the end of this issue. Wow, his wife is an acquisition, huh? Interesting. That's, that's Greg Rucka's words, not my words. Uh, I'm not saying it to you. <laughs> you understand what he's saying, though. Like everything yes, he's I know. Gained, I know. I know. I'm just kidding. I know you are. I'm just being just, silly. He just wants to make everybody problematic. Yeah. That's right. Everybody but me, baby. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I I think the Black Adam stuff plays uh, really well, but that's a, we can we can agree to disagree. Um, should we move on? Yeah, forty five. Okay. Um, so this one has art from Chris Batista and Jamal Igel. Um, now we're post ISIS funeral, and uh, Renee is approaching Black Adam, and I I really like this scene. Um, she basically tries to offer condolence and and even aid to Black Adam in his time of need, you know, um, 
and he, he says something like, you know, anything I can do to help or we can team up on this or whatever. He very coldly refuses um, and basically tells her that she should be investigating inner gang in her own backyard, uh, Gotham City. Um, I, I really like this bit because I like the even reading it again. I didn't remember or know where the conversation was going, you know, mm-hmm. um, because Black Adam has shown at least enough of a, a canniness or something in the past to to maybe accept Renee or find her to be honorable or whatever. But he's in such a state now that see, I, I think that plays really well. I can see what you guys mean about about well now he's just reverted back to some pure villain or whatever but but yeah no i i want to i want to make it clear that i walk that back a little bit because there there is like even though he is about to go on this huge rampage there is like a clear distinction he is more restrained in certain circumstances than he would have been at the beginning of the series yeah yeah um so yeah then we we see the start of black adam's uh, rampage he goes and he kills the president of Bialya, um, essentially for working along with Inner Gang and the Four Horsemen, um, and he just starts ripping shit up there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, like we see Checkmate and the Suicide Squad watching from afar. Um, Adam Smasher... Adam Smasher refuses to... Remember that he was about to be made part of or was made part of uh, the Suicide Squad... But he refuses to go after Black Adam on Amanda Waller's terms. He's going to go seek him out himself because he doesn't necessarily believe that this is something that Black Adam would do of his own volition. And, uh, you know, he threatens to blow the lid off of the new Suicide Squad if uh, he's not allowed to just go and and, and investigate on his own. Um Black Adam is continues like wrecking stuff. Um, the Great Ten and August General and Iron talk about what to do about Black Adam if he would come to China and attack China. Um, they kind of debate whether the Four Horsemen thing is really any of their business at all. <laughs> um, and at this point, I think Black Adam starts fighting the rest of the four horsemen i think at this point he's fighting death who goes also goes by the name Azraeus, right is that right something like that yeah. Azraeus was death yeah um and in all in amongst all this fray the science squad is worried that black adam will discover that they were the ones who unleashed the four horsemen in the first place so and that's where this one ends um yeah, I, I really love the way that things are ramping up here. I think that we'll talk about it, but the, the World War Three stuff specifically is not not great. <laughs> but in the context of 52, I, I think all of this stuff is is heading towards a really satisfying conclusion. The, the next issue, I think, is especially good. Mm. Um, yeah. Adam Smasher and Black Adam have a great like long story that John's put in justice in uh, JSA rather. And so seeing those characters interact here is, is very good. Yeah. Good stuff. 
definitely. Are they tr- trigger my memory here? Are they related in some way? So no, not really. When okay. when Black Adam joins the Justice Society, Adam Smasher is the one who is the most opposed to it, and they sort of develop this grudging friendship. And then when Black Adam leaves the JSA because he basically feels they're ineffective, Adam Smasher leaves with him. So he he goes from being an adversary to being like his closest ally, and then eventually he decides that Black Adam's gone too far. And that's what leads to him turning himself in and being in prison so that Waller can use him for the Suicide Squad. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Issue 46. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll take a break so, after 46. Yeah. So issue 46 it, in the beginning takes place on the, the um, Oolong Island with the Science Squad. And I... I think it's really funny. Uh, the scientists are kind of all freaking out, except for Tio Morrow, who's on eBay bidding on his own Red Tornado robot, yep. <laughs> and which is a great. That whole thing bookends the scene really well because at the beginning of the scene, he's he's bid, bidding on Red Tornado, not really paying attention to what the scientists are freaking out about, which is which is Adam basically approaching their island. Um, and then at the end of that sequence, he he wins his bid. Um, Only fourteen thousand plus shipping. <laughs> yeah, it's a very funny uh, framing device. I, I really like that. Um, we also see Will Magnus and Veronica Kale bone down uh, during the all the mayhem, uh, which is interesting. Ver- Veronica Kale is kind of going insane with guilt that that they for their role in the Four Horsemen thing. Um, um, I was, I was totally right about her knowing about the new gods and the final, she, she specifically says the words, the final crisis is yes. coming. And yes, this is yes, yes, yes. Nicely done. Um, while he's bidding on eBay, he briefly, uh, has time to pop a Tesseract space. So another good reference to a more past Morrison work mm-hmm. with the, with the, um, one million stuff. He pops a Tesseract space in uh, Black Adam's brain, basically, which uh, kind of incapacitates him for a little bit. And and then he ends up winning his auction. So <laughs> um, uh, then with Steel, uh, we see that the Steel and the police are apprehending what they think is Lex Luthor, but really it's every man. We've said before how the two of them staying in the police. <laughs> my god you're at it again what is what is with you on these 52 shows zach you're... there's a little black spot on the sun today oh my god the same old thing as yesterday guys uh, uh... wow uh don't stand so close to me man um <laughs> uh but it's really every man because they basically look identical um and, Clark, and, and, and no. he's also shape-shifting to look like Lex in this moment, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Clark knows that, that Lex wouldn't give up that easily if he were... You know, this isn't like the Lex that stole 40 cakes, right? Like, this is a this is a much, much more uh, cunning Lex. And I mean, so they're, he both knows that... they're both terrible. They're both terrible. They're both terrible. Yes, it's that is terrible. 
Um, so eventually they they realize that Luther's hiding. He's hiding in like a lead-lined room or something, but they find him. Um, I love his excuse. Also... He's just like, oh, my lawyers told me the wrong day for the arraignment. And thinking that's <laughs> going to make it okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, We also see the JSA uh, trying to clean up after the Black Adams rampage um, in Bialia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but... Um, but uh, they state that over two million are dead, and Adam Smasher shows up at this point looking for Black Adam again, not able to believe that Black Adam would be responsible for that many deaths. Um, the art in this one was uh, Pat Olaf, by the way. Um, and yeah, I, I really like this one. Zach, you're right. This issue um, is good. The Science Squad stuff in particular, I, you know, I'm a bigger fan of that stuff than you guys are generally, I think. But but I also think this is just this is a very fun issue with them. And I like the the Will Magnus and Veronica Kale kind of like having sex and, and Veronica kind of going a little nuts rings totally true to me on an island of mad scientists. Like, I, I like that they're kind of becoming unhinged in all of this. <laughs> This is the best science squad stuff to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Anything else before or you want to take a break now? Yeah, let's take a break and when we come back we will finish up our discussion of fifty two volume four. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. All right. Uh, issue number 47, art from Giuseppe Camicoli again in this one. Uh, we see Bruce and Wonder Woman in Nanda Parbat. Um, Tim is waiting out, waiting for Bruce outside of the cave where he's Bruce is doing his own vision quest or something. Um, and we also see, uh, Bruno Mannheim and Whisper Adair doing some, like, sacrificial, uh, crime Bible ritual stuff to try to find Batwoman. And, um, it leads them to the realization that Batwoman is somebody named Kane because, uh, there's some phrase about the twice named daughter of Cain. Or something, and Cain is spelled like the biblical Cain, but you know they—it's it, leading them down the right track, right? Um, which again, I think I love the crime Bible stuff, and I think that that's a really clever, clever aspect of it. Um, we also see Will Magnus working on that plutonium man that that uh, Chung Su has been asking for on Oolong Island all this time. Um, Meanwhile, the science squad has Black Adam captured and is currently torturing him. 
Uh, we also see Animal Man using his Sun Eater powers to s- essentially see shortly into the future where he sees uh, his wife Ellen with another man. Um, that will come up again later. Um, we also see that Steel and Kala have started a relationship and a new company, Steelworks. Um, we Renee uh, goes to Kate Kane's place. Um, which is all smashed up, and Nightwing is there in the window. Um, and and then at the very end, we see Ramakrishna speaking to Wonder Woman, offering her some advice, and Bruce Wayne emerging from the cave triumphantly. Um, a lot happened in this issue. Uh, we got a little bit of just about every story here. Um and again, I, I, I think all these stories are, are ending in a really intriguing fashion. I think the art was good. I think Kevin, Kevin Coley's art was really good in this. This is a good visual um, issue, yes. Yeah. I think the stuff with Bruce coming out of the cave, and I, like, I, I love when, when Batman gets a little bit metaphysical. Um, yeah, this is, just, this, is, this is a fun time. It's, it's, for me, it's hitting on all cylinders here. My favorite... Uh, bit in this issue is when Savannah says that he's found a way to peel the enamel off of Black Adam's teeth. It's just su- such like an evil scientist thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, there's some gross like imagery in 52 and also just some gross ideas. <laughs> like That gives me the creeps. Definitely. Um, anything else about this one? What do you what do you guys think of the crime bible stuff at this point? It's um it's hmm it's a cool idea. I just feel like it doesn't get a lot of like depth in 52. I'm really interested to follow up with that crime bible mini series that comes after this and see you know what rucka does with it there i know it's picked up again a little bit in uh final crisis revelation which i have read but um it's been a long time since i've read that so i i'm I'm kind of interested to see what rucka does with it after this and i think it's a really good um companion to the stuff that morrison was doing around this time with the new gods Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really fun idea, and I think that the beginning of the crime bible story is really interesting. But at this point, there's a lot of spinning of the wheels of just like we hear about this twice named daughter of Cain a bunch. We see the image of Batwoman being sacrificed a bunch, but the story itself doesn't get too much more complicated than that. It just sort of repeats those points over and over again until we see it almost happen. Mm, yeah, yeah, I I think in that way it's a it's it's. It's kind of some of the most silver agey stuff in this, and and I like it for that. I like how what a goofy idea it is. But I, I see what you guys are saying. Um, all right, issue fifty eight. I just want to ask a question because or forty eight. Vince, you were reading yeah. um, DC more consistently at this point than I was. Uh huh. Was Steelworks ever the focus of like a book or a miniseries, or was that just like something that happened in the background for a while? 
I seem to remember Steelworks coming up. I don't think it ever had its own book or I don't think it was ever the focus of a book. I could be wrong, but I remember, I remember reading the word steelworks a lot around this time, you know, in other yes, books. I, I agree with that, but I wasn't sure if it ever had like, cause you know, so many times throughout this book, you see the, the sort of backdoor pilot for other series in here. And it seems like they were getting ready to make steelworks a bigger thing. And then it never really happens. Yeah. Oh man. I, I, Hmm. I'm not sure. Let me. Yeah, I don't think there was ever a Steelworks book. Um, it just seems like such a wasted opportunity. I don't think there's been, I think there's been exactly one Steel ongoing, and that was like the one that spun so, out of the Reign of the Superman. Mm-hmm. So there, there was an Infinity Inc. ongoing that spun out of Fifty Two, and the first issue has steel and natasha on the cover okay so maybe it was in there which i i was not reading that book at the time it only ran for 12 issues so okay um but man it had max fiumara on it really wow for the first for the first um five issues it looks like He's credited as artist on issues one and two, but penciler on three to five. So I don't know what that means. That probably means he was inking himself on the first two issues. Oh, uh, okay. That makes sense. Yes. Um, yeah. Peter Milligan wrote it. That's a pretty good team. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, after Fumara left Travel Foreman... And Pete Woods. Wow, we got to read this. Followed yeah. up. <laughs> Seriously. We got to read this for the show. All right. Can we move on to 48? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this one kicks off with some crime Bible stuff, too. Um, it talks about how the, the, the legend in the crime Bible states that the twice-named daughter of Cain's death will... Uh, mark the rise of inner gang eventually ruling the earth basically so that's that's what this is all supposedly heading towards for them um dick and renee realize at this point that it was inner gang who busted up kate's apartment um and we see inner gang activate a bunch of these like strange energy sort of beacon weapons all around Gotham, which uh, which Dick runs around taking care of while Renee dons the question costume, I believe, for the first time officially wearing it all uh, to go find Kate. Um, Was anybody Renee... else getting, like, fire pits of apocalypse? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's what they're supposed to be, right? Are they? Okay. I, I didn't catch that, but... That, yeah, I mean, that's how I read it, because... I, I, I mean, I've, I've always thought like inner gang has like ties to apocalypse. Like that's where they get all their weapons from. Mm, yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. That's kind of how I read that. So may, I might be wrong, but no, um, I think what you say makes perfect sense. I think. 
Yeah. Um, okay, so Renee ends up finding Bruno Mannheim about to sacrifice Kate on an altar at a church in Gotham. Uh, he he does successfully stab her, but then kind of in the fight, she ends up getting up, throwing the knife at him, stabbing him in the back, um, taking him down. Um and then the last thing we see is uh, Chung Su or Chang Su, whatever it is. In in one of these issues, they spell it wrong. I don't know if you noticed that. So not, they <laughs> spell not it know. they they spell it Chung and they spell it Chang, and I can't remember which was the original, which is the right one. I think it's Chang Su, but I could be wrong. Okay, yeah, Chang Su uh, has the beaten and bloodied Black Adam that the scientists were torturing. And basically offers him up for bid to the entire world. That's uh, where this one ends. Uh, Derek Robertson on art in this one, and I I think he does a really great job in this issue too. There's there are scenes of Kate fighting these like weird inner gang bad guys, the like kind of like the half monster, half human um, bad guys, and I I love the designs, and I think he does a really good job, like. Some of those designs look legitimately creepy, and her fighting them is is really well done. Um, he does some great stuff here. If this issue came out like five or six years later, it would have been titled "Take Me to Church," because <laughs> I, I feel like all of these issues have like weird punny titles that are sometimes like pop culture references. Mm-hmm. And uh, Renee says, like for the first time in a long time, I'm going back to church or whatever. So. I feel like that would have totally been the the name of the issue if this came out in 2013. It would have been Dan DiDio and Keith Giffen's idea. Oh, of course. Everyone else would be oppo- vehemently opposed to it. All right. Uh, issue 49, art from Eddie Barrows in this one. Uh, the JSA is trying to free Black Adam so they can take care of him themselves. But uh, the Great Ten intervene saying that everything that's on oolong island belongs to them and that it would be an act of war to take him uh chang su comes calling for will magnus to get the plutonium man he's been working on and at this point magnus unleashes the metal man on him um in this fight chang su ends up i think dying like he's he's definitely wrecked he yeah he (laughs) <laughs> he uh they they crack that egg yeah definitely the art is very like creepy and gross too in that part too so yeah pretty sure he's done for um uh will magnus sees tio Morrow one last time and gives him the chance to escape before all the mad scientists are round up on the island um and why does he do this because he was always his favorite teacher um, even though he's a bad guy, <laughs> guys. Uh, yeah, yo, I've I've just come across some forbidden Gnostic knowledge. Oh boy, um, this be? so the Metal Men get a spinoff book after Fifty Two. Are you familiar with it? Yes, it's it's written and illustrated by Duncan Rousseau. I've I've never read it. But in the book, they fight a group of evil metal men 
and would you would you believe it they are called the death metal men oh my god what could the death metal men come back (laughs) could or when will when will (laughs) scott we know you're listening bring back the death metal men Uh, yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Um, we then see Adam Smasher and the JSA searching the compound. Uh, they're holding Dr. Savannah upside down and shaking him out, basically, in a, in a funny scene. Eventually, they do find Black Adam, and Adam Smasher gets to question him about what happened in Bialya asking him whether he really could have killed all those people. He's basically giving him an out. Yeah, yeah. He's and saying, like, Adam... look, the four horsemen definitely did this, right, dude? This this wasn't you, right? And Adam doesn't take it. He just, he refuses. He's He doesn't. He, he's says, he, says, he says nothing in response uh, as far as, like, whether he's guilty or not, but basically doubles down that he's going to be, he's going to war now with everybody. Um, yeah, so he definitely doubles down. Um, and then, and, and this is kind of a small scene, but I did make a note of it because I thought it was kind of interesting. In Metropolis, we see the remaining members of Infinity Inc. Uh, without Lex, who still see themselves as the future of superheroics and, and think that they have a chance to be heroes and some, supplant the JSA who they basically call old and outdated at this point. Um, And I assume that that continues on into the uh, Infinity Inc. series, the aforementioned. Anything else about that one? I don't think so. All right. Issue 50, World War III begins here. So we'll talk about this one, and then we'll break for the World War III mini. Well, so... Here's my question about this. Okay. Did you guys read this issue before you read World War Three? I did, yeah. I did because specifically because on the cover it yes. says World War Three so, begins here. So did I. That's but the there's totally, stuff that happens. That's the totally wrong way to read it, apparently. Yeah. Well, also apparently all five issues came out in one day. Oh Jesus. Why didn't they just do it as like a exercise and thought whatever? Whatever. No Why did no they idea. do it to begin with? Very dumb. Very dumb. Because we just talk about the miniseries yes. and then do issue yes. fifty. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let me flip here. So I'm not going to talk about each of the four issues individually. I don't think. Uh, but Suck, we'll, we suckier, will... suckier, suckiest. Yeah. Oh man, these are bad. These are a drag. They make absolutely everything. Uh, that happens in 52 look like the height of comic bookery really <laughs> like, the, the this is so stupid it's it's such an afterthought um it's such a lazy premise basically what the premise of this is is that martian manhunter is off in space thinking about everything that's going on right now on earth and he's observ- he's floating around observing like in his mind, uh, the world reacting to the crimes of Black Adam and the declaration of war. And 
what it seems like to me, kind of being divorced now from the context of the time, is that it seems like it's setting up a bunch of different books, I think. Or at least at least mm. different status quos for characters. Yeah. Because like but, you t- but ones that are like completely unrelated to 52. Yes. Completely <laughs> unrelated. Um, I love Dick Grayson, but they spend more time with Dick Grayson in this series for no I, reason. Do they? Because than... I don't think they do. Well, they spend like they spend like I, five pages with him, which is for him to do nothing. Basically. Just to say that, yes, he's joining the fight on Earth, which is nothing. Are you sure that's not Jason Todd? Oh, is Jason in the Nightwing? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, that's it, what I meant. It doesn't tell you that at all, though. No, and I wouldn't but know I'm, that. From... I don't... I'm pretty sure that that's, like, a a thing that when... I think in the Nightwing comic at this time, when in one year later, when Dick comes back, he finds Jason masquerading as Nightwing. Okay. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong about that, but I, I think that that's what happens. But it, you don't know that from reading this. You just think Dick is murking people, mm-hmm. which is weird. Yeah, because he's super violent in this issue. Yeah, there's there's a scene where he raises his um, his like baton thing. I know they have a name. Um, it's like a scream of sticks or something like that. But it it's a pretty blatant crowbar callback. Mm hmm. Yes. Yeah. Good call. Okay. Yeah. See, yeah, I didn't catch any of that, I guess. Um, yeah. And, and, and Martian Manhunter's role in this is just so stupid and lazy. I think like, yeah, just, just having, he's like, he's basically playing like the, um, the pariah role in crisis in this where he's just like, watching all of this horrible shit happening and like clutching his head in like horror, like, Oh my God, you know? And then, then eventually he sees like heroes stepping up and he's inspired by them. And, ah, it's just so stupid. It's really weird. The bit, the, the issue that has like Supergirl coming back. Yep. um, That's issue number two, which I think she's been in the future with the Legion at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. She, that like, shows right. up and, like, phases through him in a very weird way. Uh-huh. That's not explained at all. Like Not explained at all, yeah. <laughs> the Aquaman stuff in this in these books is wild because it's, like, a massive status quo change, but I don't think Aquaman had a book at this time, and it was setting <laughs> up for, like, the new Aquaman book. Um, yeah. It's wacky. Yeah. And to Brian, you said earlier that this takes part of some of this takes place concurrently with issue 50. We, we see Black Adam fighting the Doom Patrol in Italy, which is something that happens in issue 50 as well in like two panels. Um, we, we see uh, Cassandra Kane and Slade Wilson for no a reason, bit, <laughs> a little bit with them about how she's patrolling Gotham without Batman there. And Slade is basically saying like, you know, Bruce, Bruce would never let you wild out like this, but I I think you got it in you or some shit like that. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just John like surveying the chaos that's going on. And, um, you get, you get, uh, the teen Titans fighting black Adam in Greece you get Terra uh, getting murked. 
Tara gets killed, yes, in yeah, this. Um, a lot of characters die in this. Um, yep. It's the classic chess punch from behind that, like, yeah. DC Comics loved to do around this time. Um, young Frankenstein, who is not the same as Frankenstein, Agent of Shade. I love that um, his name is Young Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. You just call him Mel Brooks. <laughs> Put, putting on the Reds. Yeah. Um, gets his arm ripped off. He must have an enormous uh, Schwanstücker. <laughs> uh, weird thing about this series is that the first two issues are written by Keith Champagne. Um, the last two are written by John Ostrander. Very weird. You wouldn't know it, though. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> um, this is such a, such a hatchet job. Um, let's see. What else? Um... Yeah, it's basically basically at the end of this, John Jones finally enters the fight after narrating all of it before. Um, John himself also kind of declares him a new beginning for himself. Uh, he reveals he reveals his Martian identity, I think, to some of his old detective coworkers. Um, and then on the very last page of this mini, you see a bunch of. A bunch of monitors watching what's going on from a monitor satellite, very much like uh, was in the original Crisis. Which um, this this mini has big from from what I know and am familiar with. It has big countdown energy, mm. and this feel this is like a in my brain, and I won't explain this. It's a it's a prelude to countdown. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. Um, uh, isn't Keith Champagne involved in that? Uh, no, he's not. No, oh, okay. he. I think he did the countdown, I, which I think I mentioned previously. I think he did the countdown arena. Uh, yes, I, I believe you're right about that. But he is not part of countdown proper. Uh, mm-hmm. I I will say that countdown makes this look like fifty two. <laughs> <laughs> so just just oh, saying. That's good, I guess. Um, the the one thing I did want to say about this just miniseries in general is that I understand that there are there are some little things that you wouldn't know if you didn't read this, but ultimately this doesn't push the story of World War Three anyplace. Like we see all the major beats in episode in issue fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's really no reason for this. No, this this feels like and looks like a complete cash grab. It yeah. sucks. I don't recommend reading it. No, I had never read it before this time. Um, no, me either. And uh, I'm uh, I now understand why, and I'm I'm not I'm not bothered that I had waited this long to read it because it, it does <laughs> yeah. nothing. No, no, it's no good. Um. All right, so let's talk about 50 proper then. Um, in the early part of the issue, we see Black Adam just basically going nutty on everybody. Um, in Egypt, the Marvel family. In Italy, the Doom Patrol. China, the Great Ten. Uh, Greece, uh, Teen Titans, as, as we already mentioned. Um, we also see the JSA kind of prepping to confront Black Adam. And uh, as... Black Adam's laying waste to the Great Ten. 
they finally decide they're they're a little stubborn at first, but they finally decide to agree to accept American aid because uh, Black Adam is killing members of their team at this point. Um, we see basically the the American team is is the JSA, Steel and Natasha, Infinity Inc, Booster Gold, Teen Titans, just all all these different. Basically, like whoever's still around at DC Comics right now shows up for this. Um, Captain Marvel also calls together a group of the DCU magicians, including Zachary Zatara, um, to try to uh, magic away Black Adam's powers. Um, Billy ends up flying into the fight, and they are able to reduce Black Adam back to his human form. And by the time this issue ends, he cannot get out of this human form. And he's kind of seen walking around muttering different phrases to himself that he think may give him back the Black Adam power. Because yeah, that's, um, that's the way that they basically take him out, is that they give him a new magic word. Yeah, yep. Um, but as far as when this issue ends, he can't get back into that form. Um and then at the very end, we see Tio Maro has end, uh, ended up in Colorado with his uh, dilapidated Red Tornado that he won on eBay. Um, and the Red Tornado is still repeating the number 52 over and over. Uh, at that moment, Rip Hunter and Booster appear, basically saying, like, we, we need to go back to the beginning. Um, whatever that means at this point. Um. Oh no, that's the next issue where they say we have to go back to where it's all started. Never mind. Sorry that I conflated the two here. Um. Basically, they just show up and surprise Doctor Morrow. All right. Uh, anything to mention about that before we move on to fifty one? Um. I think it's a clever way for them to get out of, like, for them to put Black Adam off the table for a while, because um. I feel like it's a uh. It's very hard to take a character that powerful and and take him out in a way that doesn't make it seem like. I mean, so many times in these issues, there is a uh, there's a character who tries the thing that everyone's been talking about, and it just it all of a sudden works this time, where it didn't work the first like ten times. And I hate when that happens. And this was a really good example of finding a way out of the situation that hadn't already been tried in the issue. Um, I think it's a very, I think it's a very clever way to get him off the table, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And lead leads to when he does find out his new magic word. One of my favorite like moments in comics ever. Ooh, I didn't know that about you. Well, you know what the new magic word is, right? What's the new magic word? Brian, Brian knows, right? Just tell us. Go for it. It's chocolate egg cream. <laughs> yeah, that's something that binds the DC3 together. It is. Yes. In, in a secret way. <laughs> two years ago uh, this weekend, boys. Two, two years ago, we all shared a chocolate egg cream, and that's not code for anything. No, it's not. We legitimately <laughs> drank egg creams together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, good times. Better times. Yes. Best uh, times. Yes, indeed. Uh, okay, issue 51. Art by Joe, Joe Bennett's back for this one. He's back. He's good again. 
Um, oh. We see Buddy returning home to Ellen just as she spurns that suitor that he saw in that vision earlier when he was using his Sun Eater powers to look into the future. Um, basically, it's just some guy who's like, hey, listen, your 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 husband kicked the bucket, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so he returns just in time, although here, I don't think she was taking him up on that. He reminds me of the guy that John Lovitz voices on The Simpsons, or when Homer's having his open-heart surgery, who Patty <laughs> and or Selma introduces Marge to, um... In the hospital, do you know what I'm talking about, Vince? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. she says, "My husband's still alive," and they both like, "Oh, hope he pulls through." And he goes, "I don't," or something like that. <laughs> something really <laughs> creepy like that. So, yeah, <laughs> yep. Um, all right. It is all. It is also basically a year later from the first issue of Fifty Two. I mean, they're a week early, but it's it's a year. It's essentially a year later from the first Connor Kent memorial that the the series kicked off with. And this time everybody is there. Um, We get a little time with uh, Ravager and Kid Devil who wants to join the Teen Titans. Uh, We see Diana Prince in her 70s sort of secret agent costume that she got back into around this time. Uh, So everybody is kind of, you know, at this point you are one year later and so they're they're getting into their current status quos their 20 their 2007 status quos whatever was going on at the time um we also see adam strange uh, getting revived on ran with a new pair of eyes uh we see lobo killing the dolphin god with the emerald eye of ekron um we lady stick shows up uh to kill the bakers and starfire ends up uh showing up at just the right time to come save them you get a really creepy line from uh buddy baker's son about starfire <laughs> yep uh she's like et with double i believe he says she's like et with double, double dds yeah. I, I think he says dds yeah. yeah which is he somehow that makes it even more creepy um, I don't know. I think, I think that's a kid. That's, that's something like a horny kid would mess up if he was like, if he was yeah. more specific, it might be creepier. I just think now he's like Googling, um, you know, like the, 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 uh, H cups or something, you know, like, <laughs> you know, how there's like H G F yes, cups. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like now he's at the point where he's Googling stuff like that. So it comes off creepier to me. Um, and then we get a uh, we get some stuff about Mister Mind who breaks out of his like cocoon, and he's this like hulking monstrous uh, centipede insect creature or whatever. Um, and he says something about fifty two fifty two worlds fifty two weeks gestation. He's he's been in gestation for fifty two weeks. Um, and Rip Hunter and Booster say that at this point they need to go back to where it all started because the that will reveal the mystery of 52, which we find out in the next issue. Anything else from this issue that I didn't mention that we need to talk uh, about? The one thing I'll say is that just that Mr. Mind was his cocoon, essentially, is inside Skeets. Ah, yeah, oh, yes, yes, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, that is a great reveal, I think. 
Um, okay. Ready for the final issue? I'm ready. My body's ready. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So Booster and Rip go back to one year ago, and they basically witness or experience the birth of this new multiverse. So the it turns out that the point of 52 is to reestablish that there's a multiverse. It's basically the setup. You don't get you don't get all of it basically the way that you do in uh, Morrison's multiversity, but we do see lots of different Earths at this point. Um, they they talk about how uh, you know there was there was one Earth, but it was too small to contain all of this energy um, created in the in the I believe it's suggested that it's Infinite Crisis. It's the meddling yes, of yes, the, exactly. the Infinite Crisis, uh, the the original Crisis characters, that the Earth has become too small to contain all the energy, and they began replicating. And they repl- they're shown replicating as these like identical copies of Earth. Um, but then this fight with Mister Mind is causing all these little changes and butterfly effects and reverberations throughout these new Earths. And so then you end up seeing. Earth 17. They show you Earth 3, which of course is the the um, crime syndicate, syndicate Earth. You see Earth 10, um, and uh, and yeah. So you basically things start spiraling out into into what would become like the multiversity guidebook Earths. Um, very cool stuff. Like this this shit blew my brain balls when I was uh, when I was a kid reading this. Um, I thought this stuff was awesome. You guys? Yeah, th- this is yeah, good stuff. Yeah, no, this is really good stuff. It leads to some of my favorite DC stuff ever. So, yeah, it's really good. It's a weird explanation for how the multiverse came about. Um, just, like, all the sort of corruptions of it. But it's 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 fun comic bookery. I, I don't really care. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny that, like, I mean, it would have to- made a lot of sense if they had just left it at, you know, the stuff that Alexander Luther did rebooted the multiverse and made 52 Earths, but they had the, the like, Mr. Mind, uh, the, like, kaiju Mr. Mind wrinkle yeah. is, is very, very interesting, and, and I liked it. It was, it was good, and I really like, you know, I think Booster, the Booster Gold storyline is a much smaller... Uh, I, I won't say smaller. It, it's it takes up a lot less room, a lot less time and pages are given to the Booster Gold story than I remember uh, from the first time that I read it. But uh, I think that this is a really good ending to the Booster Gold storyline and sets up the uh, the Booster Gold ongoing series, which um, I remember being enjoyable. Um, yeah. The, the new status quo is really good where he's kind of like the secret he and supernova and rip hunter are, are the secret protectors of the multiverse that's very good stuff yes absolutely also did you guys notice um there's a term that's teased in this issue uh called the the megaverse and i yes. really yes. i really want them to do like a uh a um like 52 expanded edition or like director's cut 
revamping where they just changed that to the metaverse. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be great. Oh. Yeah, Rip Hunter men- mentions that that, that uh, something about the beginning of Booster Gold's glory years and the birth of the Megaverse, which yeah. had that that feels like such a Grant Morrison thing. I don't know whether it was or not, but like I, I feel like one of Morrison's favorite things to do is create a concept that he bases a, a book or an arc around, and then reveal in that story that, oh, there's actually a much bigger version of this that we're, ne- we're never going to see or get to, right. but he'll tease it with, like, a line. He always does that. Yeah. He always takes it, like, one step further than it's meant to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very, it's funny that we get the seeds of multiversity in this, which doesn't come for another six or seven years. Much mm-hmm. more than that. No, it was 2014, I think. This is uh 2007, right? And yeah, yeah. Hang on, I have my cover multiversity right here. Uh, my, you're right, 2014. I thought it was later than that. My apologies. Well, it's... rebirth was 2016, so couldn't have been much later. I suppose that's true. It did come out over the span of like a year and a half, I think. Yeah. Um. Okay, so anyway, they 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 end up. Uh, figuring out a way to imprison Mr. Mind inside Skeets and Booster like tosses him like a football to Supernova <laughs> who th- takes it through a time vortex and ends and it ends up in week zero, day zero stuck in this like 52 second time loop. Or something. Is that right? Did I did no, I explain the, that the, right? The fifty-two second time loop is where uh, Supernova, you know, the um, boosters like ancestor, he's trapped in there, and that's oh, he's trapped there. That's yes, right, okay. and and that's where Rip pulls him out of. Yes. So, but but where? Okay, where does where does Mister Mind your end up then? Mr. Mind goes back to the beginning. Right. He goes yes. 52 where where Savannah finds him. And I think he's like caught in a time loop, basically. OK, so he is also caught in a time loop. OK, I just wasn't all that clear in my notes, but I thought, OK. Yeah, it's not like the 52 second. It's not the 52 it's not second. That, that's the but, super, that's where Supernova is. OK. Yeah. Yeah. OK. All right. Um. So then. So then at the end of the final issue here, Black Adam is still kind of a wandering, missing. Um, we see a great... Uh, I love the scene with Ralph and Sue as ghosts, and there's like a gaping hellhole at a preschool. It's the best. Yeah, and Ralph's nose is twitching. Sue's like, your nose is twitching, Ralph, which is like the original thing that anyone knew about elongated man um whenever there was a mystery afoot um you know what my my big conspiracy theory is now was it that that the ghost detectives have been present through all of the dc universe since this comic we just haven't seen them because they're ghosts (laughs) and that's going to be a big retcon here soon we're going to find out that they were there all along even though we have seen ralph 
<laughs> but not really. It doesn't count. It doesn't that was count. Okay. that was dark. That was that was Doctor Manhattan's fault. That uh, wasn't really Ralph. Yeah. Okay. No, it would be great if if suddenly there was a Ghost Detective Dibney's book that came after. But you know, I don't. I I'm more and more pessimistic about stuff like that. I think DC is more likely to just. They're, they are going to set things the way they were or, or they're going to they're going to say like, OK, everything still happened. We've already seen the cover that has like the Golden Age Wonder Woman meeting the current Wonder Woman. But they're not going to return to the status quo of these like pre flashpoint books that never happened. I think they're just content to keep moving on. Mark Wade might not be content. To oh, <laughs> god if that oh yes please please i i would love it um okay we also see will magnus um saving he saved a backup copy of skeets so like the the evil skeets that you know got mr mine imprisoned within him and and shot off like a football into time um that 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 all doesn't matter because Magnus has a backup and they can make a totally new Skeets. Um, it's basically the landfill thing. From yep. <laughs> it's if Skeets were landfill, just call me Skeets and treat me like I was Skeets all along. Um, and then and then we end with Renee restoring the bat symbol. Uh, it, remember, it had been replaced with the question symbol. Yep. Um. She restores the bat symbol and shines it for Kate, uh, who's still alive, injured from the stabbing, but... Uh, but saved but by the question mask. Saved by the question mask. As as you are. And that's it. Anything I missed there? Man, 52 so. is good. This was such... This was this was one of the most enjoyable readings that we've did, that we've done so far. Um, I I love this series. I'll probably never read it again now, but because <laughs> it's so long. But man, it's good. It is really good. It's, it's very good. Yeah. I feel like this is the type of thing that DC will likely never get a chance to do again, or at least never get a chance to do again where the outcome isn't so predetermined going into it. Like th- this feels like, I mean, I don't think you could have read the first issue of 52 and guessed any of this stuff. It was all really new ideas and new, um, you know, refocusing on some old characters, making some new characters. I just feel like DC isn't, isn't innovating this way anymore. Yeah. Although Tynion's going buck wild on introducing like new characters and villains in his Batman stuff. Yes, but... he is. That is a good point. But yeah, he's he's kind of the only one out there doing that right now. I I think part of that is just like a, a realization of the uh how creating characters for big two companies doesn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the creators are realizing that, but also just because this was a huge chance for DC, and I think under the greater like, I, was DC already owned by Warner's at this point? 
Oh, I mean, they have been. Yeah, I mean, for a long, long time. It's not as long as you think, actually, because like Warner's was, um, like Warner's was licensing DC stuff before they owned DC. So like all the like Superman and Batman, those films in the seventies and eighties, they were not owned by Warner's at that point. They were just being licensed out. Mm. Um, but regardless, like, I, I just think that Warner Brothers now has more of a hands-on approach to DC, and so you're never going to see risks like this happen again because it doesn't make sense for their like corporate bottom line. Yeah, I do wish. I'm there. There were whispers that like. DC and Marvel were maybe getting better or thinking about getting better at um, compensating creators for the characters that they create if they're used in like movie and TV. I do not know if there's there was ever any movement on that. Um, well, I know was it Jim Starlin who said he got paid more for KG Beast's one scene in Batman v Superman than he got for any Thanos film. Yeah, he did say that. So so maybe at DC they're doing a little bit better with that. Yeah. I just remember I remember Uncle Rich had a um I think he did a story at some point where like some some creator confided into him that like as part of maybe as part of like exclusive contracts or something there is language in there more about like IP you create there that like Obviously, you can't take it anywhere, but but you will be compensated a little more if it's used for some. I, I don't know if because we don't really get to see contracts and stuff like that. I don't know whether it actually happened, but right. I know there were whispers. By the way, I'm totally wrong. Warner Brothers bought DC in 1968. Totally. Fine. OK, that's <laughs> kind of what I thought. I, but... I had thought for some reason that. Maybe they owned like a minority stake in it. That it wasn't. They didn't take over like full control until much later than that. But I am. Well, I am that isn't what was, you said either. <laughs> no, no. I, I know. I just. I had for some reason. I thought that they had. They had like a first look deal with them, but I am totally wrong. Before you get any emails, I am totally wrong. They're already typing them. It's too late. You're gonna get them. <laughs> That's the, all right. In just... the like five minutes between. It's just it's actually very odd to me that Warner Brothers would have like waited to be so controlling. I don't know. Comics weren't that they weren't that big a deal yet. I guess they so. weren't the big money that they are now. Yeah. Nothing was the big money that it is now. Well, that's that's true as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, anything else to say about uh about fifty two? I think I'm spent. I don't know if you guys wanna go no. off a little more, but I'm good. It was really, really good. Um one of the most unique like it's so like DC was doing just such cool like storytelling things right now and taking big risks, you know, between this and Seven Soldiers and um you know, just it was a special time. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there for it, but it seems special. To me, this this sort of feels like, in a way, 
I guess Final Crisis is maybe the, the real last one. I feel like this feels like the end of a long run of DC, of everything kind of building on the thing that came right before it. Like Final Crisis, as much as I love Final Crisis, it, it feels in a way kind of like its own beast. Like there, there are obviously antecedents to it. We talked about some of them here. But I feel like this is so directly a follow-up to Infinite Crisis and Identity Crisis, and those were such direct follow-ups. You know what I'm saying? It just it just feels like yeah, this is. I think, I think Blackest Night is really the real end to it. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think I think that's the true end, and I think that's a truer continuation of everything than Final Crisis really is. Final Crisis is the continuation of like all the stuff that Grant was doing in his own head. You know, right. Um, and it, and there is like there are clearly threads of that here, um, but uh, I think Blackest Night is where a lot of those threads really, really kind of come to a head. And um, there's actually a lot of Fifty Two stuff in Blackest Night too. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Infinite Crisis stuff. A lot of it, there's just a lot of stuff in there. That I have not read since it, it came out. Blackest Night. Uh, I think I've I've read it at least one or two times since I read it probably like three or four times around the time that it came out. Um, but I haven't touched it in a long time. I'm, I'm excited to get to that stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening folks. Uh, we appreciate it next week. Uh, well rather next time we do one of these, we might do a new comics roundup in the next few weeks, but the next event we're talking about is we are going to be doing the Sinestro core war as a two parter. So stay tuned for that. And until then, if you want to get in touch with us, two-thirds of us are on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. And I am at Woker Fox. If you need Vince, he is furiously Googling an E.T. with double DDs. <laughs> you know it's out there. Oh, it's out there. And uh, hey. you're going to find it. <laughs> I'm going to find it right now and put it in the chat. Oh, baby. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Sufjan, did you just yeah, join the show? What just happened? <laughs> Stupid man in the window. Zach, say 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 uh, <laughs> say I eat uh, forty pizzas in thirty days. <laughs> we got another. We got another all-time stinger on our hands this is, here. This is not nearly as entertaining. <laughs>